So this morning's main thing is very simple. You have one job, and that's the Great Commission. As I was kind of working through what I was going to talk about this morning, I had, I had trouble figuring out just how to articulate what I needed to say. And, and I remembered my trip to Kenosha this past weekend. Uh, one of my favorite things from Kenosha is the lakefront. Uh, Kenosha is located right on the, uh, the shore of Lake Michigan. Uh, there's sailboats, houseboats, fishing boats, and barges that all go by this area in Kenosha. And there... At the end of the pier is this beautiful lighthouse. Maybe. There it is. There's this beautiful lighthouse. When I lived in Kenosha, I used to love going out and sitting out there, especially at night when it was lit up. It's just one of the coolest things. I grew up landlocked my whole life. And when I got to live in Kenosha, I got to be near a large body of water, and I tried to soak it in as much as I could. Um, and as I looked at these pictures that I took when I was there last weekend, um, it dawned on me. These lighthouses are out there to keep boats from crashing into the rocks and, and, and people being hurt and, and boats being sunk. These things are there to be saviors for these ships. And that's our job. Not to be the savior, but to be the lighthouse to our world. See, it's a dark world that we live in, and it is in dire need of a light. This is where the church needs to step in, and it's where we need to shine our brightest. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, we read, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people put a light, or light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, we're needed to carry out the Great Commission, and we need to make sure that this light doesn't get turned off. So that made me ask the question, how does that light get turned off? How do we literally turn off that light that needs to shine into the world? So I thought about it. I'm going to kind of go through this pretty quickly, but I want you guys to follow along with me on this. I would say the first thing that obviously turns the light off is what? The on-off switch, right? So I think it's the on-off switch, and I would consider that to be the Sunday Christian. See, they're living two lives. There's the Sunday morning, super spiritual, shaking everybody's hands, never misses church side. And then there's the rest of the week, and it's business as usual, and God stuff gets put to the side until Sunday gets here again. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Romans 1, 16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And finally, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. After reading these verses, I think it's pretty obvious that the term Sunday Christian may not even be Christian at all. Because if we are following after Christ, we shouldn't fall in love with the ways of the world. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel, and we should realize 
that we are daily ambassadors for Christ each day. This idea that we only act like Christians on Sunday should never happen. And if we're going to be truly ambassadors for Christ, that means it doesn't just go today. It goes Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The second thing that can turn out a light is bad electric. Bad electric can mess up everything. And I think this could just simply be the lack of knowledge on how to bring someone to Christ. I would dare say if I was to poll this room, there would be several of you, if I said, how do you win someone to Christ? You would be like, I got nothing. So without understanding how to bring someone to a genuine relationship with Christ, your power is going to go out. You're not going to be able to be that light that's needed. And as a whole, the church doesn't always do the best job. And I say the church big C, not little C, but uh, the church always does, doesn't always do the best job of explaining how someone comes to Christ. Here at Catalyst, we see five things lined out in Scripture that best explain how someone comes into a relationship with Christ. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is where we see that we must believe and confess who Jesus is. So belief and confession, obviously, they have to be there. Next we see in Acts 2, 38 through 41, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. See, Peter just gotten done sharing the gospel with the crowds on the day of Pentecost, and they were cut to the bone. They asked what they should do, and Peter said, Repent and be baptized. Believe, confess, repent. Be baptized. And that fifth part is to live your Christian life out. There are no tickets to heaven. You have to live the Christian life. It's five very simple things that most people just don't know. And without understanding how someone comes to Christ, your electric is going to go out and, and your light won't be able to shine. So we've said, you know, we've got the on-off switch, bad electric. Well, the third thing that turns out the lights of evangelism is a power outage. See, these are those times in our lives when life's stresses and troubles kick in. This is where we lose our focus on Christ because we think our problems are just so much bigger than Him. We read in Psalm 46, 1 through 3, that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For I am weak, then I am strong. There's not one individual in this room who hasn't been through hard times. There's not one. Some are probably more awful than others, but none of us have ever been drugged through the streets while being spit on. None of us have ever stood in the court of popular opinion 
that called for our death. None of us have ever been beaten to the point of near death just for who we are, and none of us have ever been hung on a cross and left there to die. See, that's the beauty of what Christ did for us. No matter what we go through, he went through worse. And he never wavered in his trust for his Father. Unfortunately, there's so many times for us in our lives where our present issues tend to cast a shadow over our beliefs. We begin to think that no one has had it as bad as we have. We think that God must have forgotten us somehow, and our light goes dead. The power outage comes from a loss of energy that many suffer when life gets hard. And guys, when a lighthouse goes dead, the result is shipwreck and potential irreparable damage. Darkness will now own the sea, and most ships won't find the shore. In the same way, when your light goes out, our witness fades. People start using that wretched H word that I hate so much. You know, the one, the, the, the one everybody likes to use when they're talking about Christians. Hypocrite. When our light goes out, people won't hear about Christ, and they miss out on the chance to come into a saving relationship with Him. So as a church family, it is our responsibility to keep that light shining. So how do we do that? How do we get our minds right? How do we see the world in such a way that we don't just go about our days as though there's no mission for us? This is the stuff I really want you to pick up on today. The very first thing we do is we put a name on it. When evangelism becomes about Jeff or Susan or Rick, it starts to mean something more. Every one of us knows someone in our lives who desperately needs Christ in it, but we don't realize that they personally are our mission. When evangelism becomes less about an ideal or something we must do, and it becomes about a name, a soul, our wiring changes a little bit, doesn't it? Acts 13, 47 lays out our mission about as simply as anywhere in the Bible. It says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We, aren't, we, we as a whole, are to be a light to those around us and to the ends of the earth. Those around us have names, though. And we need to put names in front of us every single day. You have one job. We also need to remember that heaven and hell are very real. These are not made-up places in the Bible. And when we die, we really do go to one or the other. I think we try to hide from this a little bit. I think we're scared of the reality of this. And because of that, we kind of lay off a little bit. But the truth is, guys, heaven and hell are real. They're very real places. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Matthew 25.31-46 really gets graphic with it and says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me, and I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. If it just ended there, it would be a really happy story, wouldn't it? But if you skip down a few verses... It says, then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to drink, or nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Skip down to the last verse there and it says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Bible does not mince words, guys. It's a very real thing. I am not a hellfire and brimstone preacher. I'm not going to get up here and start yelling at people or anything like that, but I'm going to tell you point blank. If you just try and pretend like there's no such thing as hell, you're not going to be very urgent about winning people to Christ. You know, hell's very real. And people who don't know Christ are going to go there. And this is hard. What I'm about to say is really hard, but we need to understand just how desperate our mission is. People you know and you love are going to go there if you don't share the gospel with them. If we don't take heaven and hell seriously, then we aren't going to be a light to anyone because we don't see the urgency of our call. This is life or death stuff, quite literally, and it's time we stop being lackadaisical about it. The, selfish, the selfishness that we have to not share our faith has become so scary over the years. We literally have a way to save people from eternal fire, and we don't tell people about it. Guys, we have one job. That takes us to the next way to keep that light on, and that's to be bold. If we're going to share with people about Christ, we have to be bold. We read in 1 Timothy 1, 7 through 8, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. We have become a people that are scared. Why have we become a people that are so scared to share something so amazing with other people? When we watch a new movie that we enjoy, we immediately post it online and tell all our friends about it. We do the same thing with a new restaurant that we, just that we just discovered. When our favorite sports team wins a big game, we jump up and down for joy and let the world know how happy we are. When we meet a famous athlete, politician, or actor, we make sure that those pics get out there for the whole world to see. But guys, what about the fact that we personally know, on a very intimate level, the Creator of the universe? What about the fact that we have the hope to spend eternity with him in a place where there's no pain, no hate, no anger, no more evil? How can we enjoy all the benefits of a church family here and not invite others in? Guys, this can't continue. It's time that we get out of our bubble and we start getting bold. There are people drowning at sea, and we're the ones holding the life preserver. Now, can I ask you an honest question? If someone 
If someone is, is, you're on a boat and someone falls out and it looks like they're drowning and you're holding the life preserver, do you look out there, there and think to yourself, man, I really just don't want to insult them. You know, I don't want them to think I think they're stupid because I'm trying to help them. I don't want to throw this life preserver out there because they might be offended by it. Do we think that? Then why do we think that about our faith? We have people that are drowning, literally drowning in their faith, and we don't send out the life preserver because we're afraid we're going to offend them. I would, I'll offend the whole freaking world, guys, if it's going to save somebody. Okay? That's what we're called to do. We're not necessarily called to offend, but we're not called to be timid. We're called to be bold and share our faith. We can't do that. We have one job. We have one job and we've got to do it. John 13, 35 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That brings us to our third, our fourth thing today. And that's that we need to love like Christ loved. Love has to be central to our mission. But understand, it's loving like Christ loved, not like we love. Social media has changed everything today. Changed everything. We don't, treat, we don't treat each other the same. We barely treat each other human. We've gone from having opinions to being experts on everything. Am I right? I mean, come on. Like, you get on Facebook and somebody posts an article, there are going to be 25 comments about how that article was wrong because this person knows better than they do. I love reading medical articles. And then people who have never spent a semester in medical school know much better than this doctor. Does that make any sense? No. Some of you aren't talking because you're probably that person. <laughs> um, we, you know, social media just changed everything. We just don't treat people the same. People come at each other in such a way that no one ever changes their stance on what they're thinking. Because doing so would mean you got to show weakness, and Lord knows we don't want to come off as weak. Unfortunately, I see a lot of Christians being at the center of this. I see a lot of loving people acting very unloving online. It's as though we see other people as our enemies. And guys, that works in such opposition to the Word of God. If we read in Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our fight isn't against people, it's against Satan. And we have to know that up front. Our job is not to come at people, it's to come at Satan. Our battle's against sin. But guys, you wouldn't know that today if you look at how many of us deal with each other. We genuinely see people as our enemies. Christ wasn't like that. He didn't beat down the non-believer. He didn't berate them publicly for not agreeing with them, and he certainly didn't call them names or tell them they didn't belong. He went where they were. He ate in their homes. He certainly didn't speak to them as though they were worthless or stupid. He saved that for the religiously self-righteous. And I need to say something today, and I, I'll just be honest with you, I don't want to, because I love you guys, and I love all the people here. I love our community, I love this family, and I only want what's best for this community. But I do have to say something, and what I'm going to say is coming from a place of love so deep, you probably don't realize it. But guys, I read so many of the posts that you guys put out there, and 99% of the time, I love every one of them. 
pictures of your families, celebrations of adoptions, which there are so many of those in this church, which is awesome. I love seeing personal accomplishments and goals achieved. Every once in a while, though, I come across uh, a post with phrases like, get out of our country, or if you believe this then, and you can just kind of put in your own mean statement after that. I see entire age groups being talked down to. I see hate, not love, hate. And it can't continue, guys. When these kind of ultimatums are made, you aren't just turning off the light. You're grabbing the the light bulb out of the light, throwing it against the wall, crushing it, and ruining every chance of your light turning back on to some people. There are people who will read these posts and they will never set foot in a church, believe in God, or even entertain the idea that he even exists, ever, because of that post. People see Christ through the lens of our example, and Satan is using every resource he has to make our example terrible. I know millennials that won't set foot in a church because they've seen too many church people have relentlessly tell them that they're less than and they don't belong. There are people struggling with sin, but they've been told that their sin is so bad that they don't belong in the church. Guys, I got some news for you. Christ went into the hardest places. He didn't go into the easy places. He went into the hardest places, and he spoke with the hardest people because they need Christ. They weren't his enemy. They were God's creation, and they needed to be reconciled with him. So what's the example we're going to give? Is it love or is it hate? Is it an example of how Christ would speak or is it the very opposite of the fruit of the Spirit? Instead of love, joy, peace, and patience, is it anger, hate, war, and agitation? We need to love like Christ. We need to know who our enemy is and, when we, and we need to know who our enemy isn't. When we can love like that, When we can replace cruel words with words of hope, we can become the brightest lighthouses this world has ever seen and our witness will matter. Guys, this isn't just about getting people tickets to heaven. Christ doesn't want that. He wants disciples. And our light has to shine bright to make that happen. He genuinely wants all of us to spend eternity with him, but he wants those people to genuinely Fall in love with him. Colossians 1, 28-29 says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. We are, we are to work relentlessly to make disciples. It's our one job, but it needs to become our passion. Worship services with beautiful music, Lighting and great sound systems are nice. But they aren't what brings people to Christ. It's relationship. And I'm going to ask a question, and I do want you to raise your hands. I'd just like to see how many of you came to Christ because someone invested in you. Someone actually invested in you, and that's what brought you to Christ. So my question to all of us, who are we investing our time in? Who are we investing in? Who are we putting in the time to make sure that they have the same hope that that we have? Parents, are you investing in your kids? Are you making sure that they're seeing Christ every day in the lives of their parents? 
Are we investing in our coworkers? Are we investing in our extended families? Other parents from our children's basketball leagues and soccer leagues? Are we investing in long-term friends who have never set foot in church? Guys, the family name only carries on if the family reproduces. So there needs to be a constant influx of new believers for the church to survive. And that responsibility lies within us because we have one job. I'm going to ask the band to come up. When I was taking pictures of the lighthouse um, that I showed you guys earlier, it wasn't the only light there. There were two other lights that helped to protect the ships from crashing against the rocks. There was the smaller light. It was there to protect ships from going too far to the right. If they did, there was a section of rocks there that would destroy the boat and could sink it. On the other side, there was this other lighthouse. And its job was to protect the ships from crashing into the shore on the right-hand side. And it was the combination of these three lights working together that kept sailors going where they needed to go to dock safely. For us, it's the same. We aren't in this alone. That's the joy of being a family. We work together to go the same direction within this community to get the job done. We set up an Ebenezer last month saying that we are a family. And today, I want you to set up an Ebenezer in your home to mark who you are going to make a new disciple. As you leave, you're going to have the opportunity to grab one of these rocks. We've got a bag out there, and if you want to come up and find the rock that you placed in this Ebenezer five weeks ago, you can come up and get that too. But grab a rock. I want you to take that home with you. I want you to write a name on it. And I want you to use it as a reminder that this name matters. That you don't want them to face the fires of hell. That you will be bold in your efforts to share Christ with them, and that you will love them with the love of Christ. And here's, here's where it kind of gets to be fun. When that person becomes a disciple, I want you to take that rock and I want you to paint it. I don't care what color. Not purple. I don't like purple. But I want you to paint that rock. I want you to cover it over and write a new name on it. My prayer is that that rock is in your possession for years and that there are layer, there's layer after layer after layer after layer of paint on that rock so that you can see that over the, the course of years... More and more people came to Christ because you were not afraid to share your faith with them. That you weren't timid, that you were bold. That you went out of the way to make sure that person knew who Christ was and give them the ability to have the same hope that you have today. You have one job, and that's the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey Christ's commands. When we do that, guys... Heaven can be a really full place. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that party someday. Why don't you guys pray with me? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, put a name on it. We all know somebody who's hurting, who needs you desperately. And so, God, we want to step out and say we will be those people. We will be your tool. We will go into this world and we will share you with the people we love and the people around us, God. Father, you're, you're amazing. God, don't let, don't let our pride, 
Don't let our selfishness, don't let our anger get in the way of doing what we know is right. God, we have one job, and we need to do it as best we can. God, I pray that you embolden every one of us so that as we leave this place, we have one desire on our hearts, and that is to tell others about you. God, we love you. We thank you. And we pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen.